to the International Bus Podcast, brought to you by Worby. This is your co-host, Tanya Falkner. And your co-host, Robert Rogi. Our guest in today's episode is Patricia Napoli. She's the founder and CEO of LanguageBox, a consultancy company for language services in Switzerland. She's also been a freelance translator since 2009 and working in five different languages, which are German, English, French, Spanish and Italian. Well, welcome, Patricia. Hi there. Thank you for inviting me to the interview. Did I get it right with the languages? You got it right, but uh, my native languages are Italian and German. So I do work with uh, Spanish, English and French, but it's, I mean, those are source languages. So I translate mainly into Italian and German. Right. Okay. That's cool. cool. So living in Switzerland and growing up in a very multilingual environment where people are forced to speak more than one language, how did that influence and impact you in becoming a translator? Oh, well, I have to say translation has always been a big part of my life because my in the early 70s, my parents moved from Italy to Switzerland and I was born in Switzerland and grew up here in, in uh, first in Basel and then I moved to Zurich and, you know, I'm bilingual, so there were always parents or uncles and cousins uh, asking me to translate something from German into Italian or vice versa. Well, I mean, you could say I was born into the industry. <laughs> so you were a translator since 2009 um, and right. you're working in these different languages and stuff. And then at some point you decide to switch over. You make a company called Language Box and you decide to start consulting companies about translations. What do you do at LanguageBox and why did you decide to make that change? Well, LanguageBox is my passion <laughs> and basically it's also the story of my career. It was like a logical consequence of, well, I've been working as a translator since 2009, but I'm still working as a freelance translator. And I say logical consequence because Every time I got hired as a translator in a company, I always ended up, for what particular reason ever, solving problems or optimizing processes. So the idea of language bugs took shape a long time ago. Yeah, and that was the result because I realized there is there really is a large demand for consulting services in this area. Particular thing is that Nowadays, I mean, there has been a really fast-paced development in the last 10, 20 years. And you do not only work as a translator nowadays. I mean, you have to have a lot of different skills in order to do what you do. So it's not just translating from one language into another. It's uh, uh, knowing about systems, translation management systems. There are There is a wide, wide choice of different systems on the market. You have to know how to set up and, and organize uh, linguistic processes internally in a company. You also have to know a lot of things when it comes to legal intellectual property or yeah also the organization of uh, linguistic uh, language technology data for instance that's also a big issue and we try to when I founded language box the idea was to have those skills together and to offer a neutral and independent service to companies who want to organize to have well-defined processes in place 
So you're doing consulting, right? And you said you've always kind of ended up solving problems in the industry. What would it like? What would a, a standard? I just call it standard now, like a standard um, interaction with warranty clients look like? What is? What are the problems, and when do they reach out to you? Well, there are different things that don't work well. For instance, I mean, it can start by assigning translation jobs to the external vendor by simply writing an email. And it could also be the fact that uh, you're not really satisfied uh, when it comes to quality of matters or there are companies who are throwing money out of the window because they don't know how to do that, to organize that, to yeah, to work and to optimize the collaboration with uh, the vendors. And the first approach is always a business analysis. So we talk to the client, we try to understand what is his issue. And in most cases, it turns out that they have issues they didn't know about. So <laughs> it's always very interesting. You know, it's like a discovery because uh, the further you go, the more problems you see. But this is a good thing because you can can have the big picture in mind and every stakeholder and in the company and outside the company, yeah, and solve problems like this. So it's it's very interesting and it could be everything. It's, it's uh, also, as I mentioned before, the legal part, which is lacking or systems uh, which are in place. Like, I mean, it's very typical that I mean, people keep copy-pasting into words website or content management system texts instead of connecting them to a translation management system or to a CAT tool. So, and terminology is also always a, a big issue. Mm -hmm. So you have all these, these problems to solve. And you mentioned earlier that there's a big demand for consulting services. But what I'm thinking is that it, it can be difficult to sell consulting services because sometimes companies don't know that they have a problem. And I guess that's what I wanted to ask is, do companies realize that they have a problem or do they usually just think that everything is, this is okay? The latter. <laughs> they usually think that everything is okay because they have to be confronted to developments of the industry and, and everything else, everything that goes with it. So it is a very, very hard job. It's not that easy. Uh, you, you're right. We have to fight for it because um, they have a hard time connecting, you know, language services to consulting services. Everybody thinks or still thinks that translation is an easy thing to do. They keep thinking that, okay, I just have to ask my vendor and that's it. And I get the text back, my translations back and everything is okay. But it's so much more to it. And you know that. <laughs> and uh, usually we have to talk to them and to explain them that it's not everything. And there are a lot of things that are related, directly related to their communications efforts also. I mean, it, it affects the whole company. And once they they have understood that, it's easier to get in and to help them optimize because we don't want to convince anybody. We just want to help companies optimize their internal processes and as a consequence, as a result, to optimize the cooperation with, with external vendors. So that's our goal. Mm -hmm. That sounds like it's often the case that the problem your clients think they have is not the real issue. It seems like they are coming with the problem, but you find more important ones, right? 
Yeah. If you take a look at machine translation, for instance, this is very common. People come to us and say, hey, I want, I want to have an offer introducing machine translation in my company. And then you, you, it turns out that they don't have any process in place. They just want to introduce it and without anything that has to do with translation. So it's very common. And there are other examples like, I don't know, they um, hire translators, but the hired translators don't have the tools mm -hmm. to work as translators. So they keep working in Word or Excel or whatever. So these are the problems that they, because it's clear, there are a lot of people who don't know that there are CAT tools or terminology databases or translation management systems, this sort of kind of automation, which we all know in this industry, it's not very known among non-specialists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's our challenge at WordV2 is to also sort of overcome those things and mm -hmm. and overcome the, you know the lack of knowledge at at large about translation in general you know because how many times do you talk to somebody and you're like oh yeah you know i work for word b and they're like oh yeah is that like google translates like no it's not like google translate and <laughs> that's it exactly yeah. exactly and so many people like we consume translations all the time but we don't actually know we're reading translations if they're good so mm -hmm. it's kind of like a ghost industry in a way like people you know, I, I think the industry right now is valued at like $42 billion or something or $50 mm -hmm. billion. And, and when you show that figure to people, they're like, whoa, really? <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah, actually, really. But, yeah. It's, but it's always, uh, always the same thing if you tell people what you do for a living. Like, I'm a translator. Oh, what languages? For what languages? Oh, and you can study this? Oh, really? Oh, there is a university offering that, <laughs> this program, and so on. So, I mean, it's still very, very exotic <laughs> in a way. And yeah, you're completely right. This is our goal at the end of the day. We want to sensitize people, companies, and persons with responsible for communication, marketing, products, technical authoring or whatever. And also we want to upgrade the industry because, uh, I mean, there is such a heavy price pressure. Everything is about the rates. If you look at the procurement department in a company, it's always about the rate and, and anybody or yeah, it's weird that a person responsible takes into consideration also aspects like quality and the hidden costs that you have. Like, as I said before, copy pasting instead of connecting the two systems and so on. So, um, yeah, we actually we want to upgrade the industry and tell people that it's not just about, about the rates and, and about costs. It's about other aspects, which are a benefit also to the company because it's their language and their software, for instance, or video games or whatever localized into another language and for another market. And this is very, very important. They have to be professionalized, if I can put it like this. So that's our goal, ideologically speaking. <laughs> hmm. Sounds like a good one. Yeah. You mentioned prices and like cost. It's good to hear that you do face the same issues in Switzerland as well, <laughs> like everyone else. <laughs> do you think there's a difference though? I mean, pricing in, in Switzerland is in general just different. How's it different in the translation industry? 
Well, I think that, uh, I mean, Switzerland is more expensive in various ways. Everything is more expensive in Switzerland, but I mean, we don't have the euro, so. (laughs) But you have the same price pressure because um, obviously as a company, for instance, if you want to buy language services, then you obviously look at the rates of the different providers. And if you work as a translator, you always have to think about the model you want to have in place. Because if you work for a translation agency, for instance, then you, yeah, you'll, I mean, the rates are lower than situations where you are lucky to work for a direct client. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the same in, yeah, nationally speaking, so in the whole world. Do you think that companies have some idea of the margins that language service providers are taking? Or are they just totally oblivious to the the margin that they pay? Well, that's an important point because we tell companies of that. I don't think that companies think about it when buying translation services, language services in general from a vendor. But for us, that's one of our values, uh, actually. We want to have fairness and transparency on the market. So we always tell companies that they have to take into consideration also that aspect because unhappy translator at the end of the day, I mean, it's impossible that an unhappy freelance translator working for an agency in between, between the client and between the freelance translator, it's impossible that he will believe deliver good quality. And that's a very important point. So we try to get a little bit of transparency in that when it comes to this. Yeah. Are you working with both end clients and LSPs or just the end client? Just the end client, because, uh, I mean, it's our target and those are the people who have to be professionalized when it comes to translation services. But we also offer an LSP placement service. So we work with LSP. It doesn't have anything to do with the consulting services. But we also work with, um, we have a little LSP database and we try to place the right LSP for the right client. So for instance, if um, a client needs a medical translator, then we will provide a medical translator, not a technical or legal translator. So that's what we do. But there's also always a kind of a conflict of interest if you work with both sides. So we have we have to make up our minds. I mean, the client is our client and we try to make it easy for him to organize and optimize the internal processes. But we um, also have, I have to say, we also have LSPs. Also, LSPs can be our clients. There are, in fact, LSPs asking for consulting services. Right. I guess those have different issues then, though, right? Yeah. Mm. So I, I guess back to the, the end client part, I'm wondering at what point does the end client begin to suspect that maybe they need to do something differently? Like, is it a certain number of words, for example, like they're translating 200,000 words a year and then suddenly this light turns on and they're like, oh, gosh, we have a lot of content that we're translating? Or like, when, when do they realize and how big does a company need to be and how many words 
per year, let's say, or just in general, like how big do they need to be to realize they have a problem and start to take actions? They usually realize they have a problem when they realize they have a quality problem. The usual situation we're facing is there are different departments working with different vendors. And it's without saying that you can't reach a standardized quality when it comes to terminology or style or, or whatever in different languages, if you are buying translation services from different vendors, it doesn't work. And you don't have a standardized terminology database and you have a lot of translation memories around and they are not unified. So this is usually the problem they face. They, they, they realize the moment they realize they, they need consultant, they have to do something. And that's the first point. And the second question is, it doesn't matter how big the company is. It doesn't matter. As soon as a company, even with three or four people working in that company, as soon as they produce or meet several languages as, as soon as they have international clients or here in Switzerland, as soon as they expand to the French part or Italian part of Switzerland, they will need translations and the problem starts there. So um, we always say, if you set it up well, you won't have any problems in the future, but usually it's not the case. So we have to, to clean it up, <laughs> everything that has been built until that moment. And very, very often you find patchwork solutions like working with the different systems, plugins uh, or whatever. And uh, yeah, there is no automation. There is no quality or feedback management. So this is the problem and uh, we would be lucky if we if we had a client uh, starting from the beginning hey language box come to us and offer us consulting services to set it up well that sounds like it would make the most sense to really get started right from the beginning yes uh, set up everything with language box and you know then you know that your processors are going well you will not be facing tremendous issues later on that's it. We always compare, sorry to interrupt you, but we always compare that with graphic design. Everybody is aware that if you have a logo and if you have a corporate image and um, manual, you know, telling you where to use the logo, where to place it on the document and so on. Everybody is, is sensitive about that. Everybody understands that. But when it comes to languages... Uh, yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's just something that has been made and it's not that important anymore or not that important like the visual part of the company. Mm -hmm. I think it's just, you know, maybe they know it's important, but sometimes it's just you are only aware of it once you know that you failed. And once you see a really awful translation mistake somewhere, then you know that something's going on, that there's something went wrong and maybe you should have considered taking it more serious from the beginning. That's it. So it's still an afterthought. I have a question for that though. So since probably most clients will not come to Languagebox right from the beginning, you will have to face with their issues later on. So what is their largest barrier when implementing the improvements you suggest? Well, as I said before, we have to clean up. 
So if you do this uh, business analysis, uh, you analyze the processes which are already in place, you take a look at the vendors, you take a look at the procurement part, at the legal part, um, it's just cleaning up. And also, yeah, with regard to the data, for instance, there's always something to migrate or to put together or standardize. So that's cleaning up is, is our biggest task. Mm-hmm. So when does a company... Because I assume that you approach companies and, you know, you're coming in there and you're doing this cleaning up stuff. And the people that are managing the translations, I bet they're not always actually project managers. Maybe they that's just part of what they do and they have other jobs as well and that kind of thing. So I, I was wondering how often that happens. And do you consult people on how to hire and train dedicated project managers? And if, if that's a thing that you do? Yes, we do that as for your second question, because we have a a service which is called Knowledge Transfer and it has to do with systems. So translators do have to know how to use the systems which are in place. And yes, that's it. We also have to do a little bit of educational work for other people in the company. There are lots of stakeholders, uh, I mean, internal clients, for instance, if you have a language services unit, and they said things like, I don't know, a simple email, like, uh, please translate this. And they don't tell you by when, no deadline, no target language yeah. or target languages. So, you know, this kind of educational work is very important. And if you like... There are a lot of translation management systems like WorkBee, for instance. You have to train people, uh, also that these internal clients, you have to show them how to use it and uh, what kind of additional information is important, like reference texts, for instance, or if they have it, also data or terminology glossaries or whatever. So yes, this is part of it. And as for the roles, there are a lot of different roles in, in, in the companies. You also have the secretary, for instance, who knows a little bit of French. And there is a presentation which has to be translated into French. They do it themselves. And uh, they don't care about, about grammar and style and whatever. So um, there are a lot of different roles. And we have to consider if we do our, or when we do our business or the analysis, we have to consider all these roles. So you have to tell people also, no, you won't translate anymore. It's forbidden. Leave that to the professionals. So, you know, you have to be honest and uh, you have to tell people what it really is, what this optimization is about. Mm-hmm. That kind of like goes hand in hand with my next question, which is actually um, you mentioning that all kinds of people think they can do translation and don't really know that it's more than just knowing two different languages. How much internal know-how on the subject of language services itself do the companies need? I mean, you know you need translation, but do you really need someone in-house who really knows the industry and knows everything about translation and localization? Or is it possible to outsource everything? Well, you could outsource everything you want, but maybe it's not the case. If you, for instance, it depends on what model you already have in place. And there are cases when it's better for companies to insource everything. 
maybe they can optimize it and it's better just because it's standardized internally. But for other companies, maybe they have different products. Maybe they're, they're not that centralized. They're not based in a single city. They have, they are international. They have affiliates, for instance, and they have a lot of language managers. I call them like this <laughs> for this example. They have a lot of language managers working all around the world. And in that case, maybe it's better to have your text localized by a translation agency or vendor which is in that particular country. So it depends on the product, it depends on the, the organization of the company, and most of all, it depends on the costs. So at the end of the day, everything has to do with that, and you just have to have well-defined processes in place. And then I mean, you see the benefits of your well-defined processes once you have them. Yeah, I bet insourcing is pretty common in Switzerland just because every company probably has a mixture of people speaking French, Italian and German, huh? It is. It is. You're right. Uh, there are a lot of internal language services units. I, I start, I mean, it starts at the level of the confederation and it ends, uh, you know, where the company is the Swiss company is really international, but uh, you also have big, big companies like um, with, with a lot of technical authoring, internal te technical authoring, and they realize that it's better to have an insourcing process better than outsource everything. So it really depends, but you're right, the, the difference may be compared to, to the rest of the world. In Switzerland, it's, it's really common to have language services units. Well, what I really want to talk about is actually uh, technology. You mentioned, like we talked about translation technology, translation management technology. Is there a certain trend in Switzerland that you can really see regarding um, translation technology? Or like, is it advanced or maybe, I don't know, what's the current standpoint? Well, I think that people start realizing that they could change or they have this shift to cloud hosted systems. So this collaboration online or web-based collaboration is a trend. You need to have translators working online every time they can do it. So you know that if you need a, the deadlines are very important. Translators do have to have the possibility of working when they can work. And uh, also it is very important to have this real-time exchange of information. So cloud-based systems are, yeah, they're really not an issue, but people are, are thinking about it. And yeah, they're, they're evaluating if cloud-based or cloud-hosted systems are better or more practical than desktop-based systems. Mm -hmm. The problem is always the data. Where do I store it? Where is it stored if it is in the cloud? And how, how does it look if this data protection policy um, in Switzerland? And um, what do you do with that? What do you do to protect your data? And yeah, how sensitive is it? Hey, as you know, we like to keep things mostly non-commercial around here. And we like to just stick to interviewing the guests about fascinating subjects. But we would like to take a moment to mention a little bit about WordBee Translator. Uh, WordBee Translator is the translation management system uh, developed by WordBee over the last 10 years. So we are celebrating 10 years now. 
it's all in one system, so you can uh, manage projects. It also has uh, linguistic tools. It has tools for finance, business analytics, and it's been around for 10 years, so it does pretty much uh, anything you want. Before working for Wordby, I also used Wordby Translator. One of my favorite things about it was actually the invoicing because it made it really easy to manage supplier invoices, create them, and just not have to deal too much with the financial side of things. But other customers appreciate other things, like for example, it's a native cloud technology, so it's really collaborative. You know, you can keep track of what's going on in there at uh, any, any moment in your project. It's easy to set up different job assignment methods. You know, you can check your stats at any time. You can see how your project managers are performing. You can see how your translators are doing. And yeah, it does pretty much everything you want. Uh, it ends up fitting your organization like a glove, as we say. So that was just a word about Wordby Translator. Now, without further ado, back to the podcast. It's an interesting subject. Like, for example, if you look at the regular European data protection stuff, and I, I don't mean GDPR, but just the previous things about how you're supposed to keep your data. I mean, if you host an application in Amazon, you know, on their Amazon AWS, like they have all that data protection stuff sorted. But then you have companies that are like, okay, we can't move this stuff into the cloud. It's dangerous, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, you know, you look at the Sony hacks, like, you know, they had all their own servers and all their stuff was hacked. The entire like electrical grid of the United States has been hacked. Uh, like, you know, Visa got hacked, like, like companies with internal servers get hacked all the time. And I don't know if it's really easier to hack a cloud based application than it is to hack a bunch of internal servers. All I see is that everyone is getting hacked all the time. <laughs> and I, I, I'm not, you know, like if it's just, it depends what you're translating, but it just seems to me like a lot of companies would be, you know, way better off in the cloud. You get all these advantages of the cloud and it's like, okay, maybe you have a little bit higher chance of getting hacked, but what, you know, is the data you have in there that important? And also, how does that compare to the, your risk of getting hacked on your own servers? Because they're getting hacked all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, it doesn't depend. It's not just translation, right? I, I mean, there are a lot of requirements which a company has, and this is also part of the of the game. You, mm-hmm. you do have to know your requirements when it comes to data protection and everything else that has to do with it, and then make a decision. So it affects the whole company. It's not just translation. It's not just web-based translation management systems or whatever. It's not the systems you have in, on, on installed on-premises. So, I mean, it's a basic decision you have to make as a company. And I think it depends on the, on the provider, so you just have to feel um, it does have to match your requirements as a company and, yeah, in order to, to make a, a decision. So, um, yeah, and it has a lot to do with the IT department. Uh, you have to, to listen to them and to do what they say you. <laughs> mm. Do you ever recommend companies to build their own translation management system? Um, no. Not not depending on if it's in the cloud or not, but just in general? No way. No way. <laughs> no way. No. There is such a wide choice of good, very good and individual 
systems on the market, they would just lose time and money in doing mm-hmm. that. No, not at all. We offer a selection of systems, uh, for instance, which could be good for them. And uh, yeah, they choose depending on what they require. Mm-hmm. That's really good. I mean, like we had a we had a chat with, um, I don't even know who we talked with last time, but we talked about this as well. And we're discussing if it was a good thing to, to implement your own TMS or use an existing one. And, you know, Most of us were also saying, of course, use an existing one, but then you can kind of argue that they're not as flexible or they don't fit your processes. I mean, we at Werby, we know, of course, we can fit your processes. That's a usual issue. Yes, it's like that. But, you know, I mean, that's why you do a requirements list and that's why you do a business analysis because you have to find a system that matches your needs. So, um, I mean, if you're a little company with four people working on that, uh, I don't know, uh, it's, it might be different. Uh, they might not want to implement WordBee, but something else, something more, say, a light version of, of, yeah, of, of another system. That you know, It depends. It depends. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, like even small companies can have exotic needs in terms of transitional management. It it just depends on what they're into, you know. Um, Yeah. If this small company is, you know, three project managers, they could be doing quite a bit of stuff. But even with one person, it's like uh, maybe you get a big project and you want this automation or you want to do stuff like that and and then you know even you're small you still need something but like as far as customization and wordby goes in that same conversation that we had um, with tanya i just think that like when i look at the feature queue of wordby most of the feature queue are requests from customers okay can you do this can you do that can we build this can we do it like that so consequently wordby is basically customizing for you in the product roadmap, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And I think it's another consideration is, you know, how fast can your TMS provider pump out new features when you ask for them? Because, uh, you know, it, the edge cases of translation are so many, you know, there's, everything is an edge case almost. Like we want to invoice like this, we want to invoice like that, or like word count mm-hmm. things. Um, the list just goes on and on. And I, I kind of think that's important is like how fast can your provider pump out stuff for you? You're completely right. But I think it's not always, not only the provider, it's also the client himself. Because mm-hmm. I mean, once you have your processes in place, you cannot just let them take their flow. <laughs> let's say, mm-hmm. let's put it like this. You have to check them once and again, you have to check if the, for instance, the file formats are still the same, if there is an internal client needing something else. And uh, so you, you, it's a constant check, a uh, continuous improvement process you do have to, to stick to because uh, otherwise the, the, the translation uh, management system, uh, you, you cannot adapt the features of your system to that. So, I mean, it's um, vice versa, (laughs) how do you say? It's a task everybody has to do in in every field. It does not affect only the translation industry. Mm -hmm. I have to jump back here to the cost part. 
Do you have, like, are there some tips that you would give companies how they can minimize their language services costs in the long term? Yes, of course. We always say they have to automate things because it cuts costs. And um, we also look at the internal organization. Again, it depends on the business analysis we do at the beginning. And uh, they do have to look at the hidden internal costs. Otherwise, it won't work. So you can just have a pressure on the rates of the external vendors, you do have to analyze your internal costs, hidden costs. And uh, once you have those results, you will be able to organize it nicely. Yeah, that's that's good. That's interesting. Like we, we said that, you know, it's costs are always important. And I think at the end of the day, it's it's like, it's what everyone's looking at, right? So, I mean, the quality needs to be good, but the costs just need to be kind of make sense as well. Yeah, and another aspect, I mean, automation, it also has to do with translation memories, how you can, as a, as a client, benefit in the long term of translation memories, also machine translation systems. There are many aspects, you, there are many things you can do to optimize your costs internally. But we always say, don't just look at the rates of yeah. the vendors, because it's, it's, they're important, but it's not the only thing that, that you have to look at at uh, once you do this um, optimization internally. Mm -hmm. So how many companies are still, or do you meet that are still using email, like just emailing files back and forth? <laughs> Unfortunately, a lot, a lot. And yeah, that's a big, big problem. And but once they realize it and once they have tried uh, um a translation management system with a little bit of automation, they're convinced and they won't work again with email. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go I mean, we manage everything in WordB marketing and stuff with Trello. And I don't know how we could possibly do any of the things that we do, whether it's organizing this podcast or anything else via email. And so many people are still doing everything via email. It's so stressful and hard. You have to remember everything in your mind. Like everyone's writing down their own lists in their to-dos that no one else knows what the other people are doing. You know, like files and versions get lost mm -hmm. in threads. Like, you know, because you get a you get something from a translator. It's like, okay, you look at it, you send it back again. Can you please fix this? Maybe you put comments in it, then they send it back done. And then you add some more comments to send it back. And then you, you can't remember which version was the right one. It's just, yeah, working in email is so crazy. And, and I'm, I'm surprised that anybody works in email yeah, at all in anything. You could say yeah. the same thing when you have a, a glossary in place, for instance. I mean, how many people keep using Excel to manage terminology that's um, almost the same? And uh, that's that's the reason why everybody wants to have collaboration tools like, uh, yeah, uh, cloud-hosted systems. And th that's a big part of this new trend, the trend of the last 10 years, um, I dare say, there has to be uh, a lot more um, transparency and people have to really collaborate and they really have to know what the other person does. Mm -hmm. I think that's the goal in the end, you know, it, it all started with word docs and everyone just doing their own thing. 
and then you can you start collaborating with the cloud you the collaboration gets even better um you can work on the same files at the same time so eventually everyone will see the benefits of the cloud i'm sure <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm with you <laughs> good yeah there's only one direction it can go you know, eventually everything will be cloud. Yeah. I understand the reluctance of some companies not to go there, but the, the benefits are just so tremendous for anything related to the cloud. But Isabella Massardo made this really interesting point, which in an article that she wrote that's not published on Werby yet, where she said that there was a moment there when companies thought that thin clients were going to be the way. And, you know, those are those computers that didn't have any storage or any software on them, but were running all the corporate software straight from the cloud. And that was supposed to be the big thing. And that that didn't happen at all. Like people mm -hmm. tried it, they didn't do it, and they just stopped doing it. But the cloud seems to be like unstoppable. It's the cloud and also the real-time collaboration. I think this is uh, even more important. Real-time, not having to wait hours or days for an answer, but just, you know, chatting on Skype or on whatever tool, having, I don't know, um, tasks organized in Trello, as you said before, or even this Office 365 tools, new tools that are really, really good, uh, Slack, and so on. I mean, it's it's this real-time collaboration, which is really improving everything, apart from obviously being in the cloud. <laughs> mm. I think this is what, what will get a lot of companies convinced, you know, even if they're not 100% convinced by cloud, they will see the benefits of the real-time collaboration. Mm. Mm. So I think we should like kind of wrap this up, but I have one more question for you, actually. So <laughs> on your blog, I know you have these stories called Traducteur Provocateur, which basically <laughs> like the stories of a provocative translator. And it kind of like just to, to explain it to people listening, it basically shows a conversation between a translator and a client with this really kind of stupid conversations, which are true, though. So my question to you is, what is your favorite misconception about translators? Just to explain this to the rest. So, for example, like people maybe expect translators to be able to translate everything, no matter if it's medical or technical. I mean, it happens. Translators know it's not true. Yeah. Just because I speak English does not mean I can translate medical documents or technical documents. Mm -hmm. So this is one of the stories you, you write about in your blog. So yeah, that, that was what I was wondering. <laughs> What's your favorite one? <laughs> well, this is a problem for sure. I mean, the thing that people think or are convinced that translators are generalists yeah the, it's, it's it is it is it is an issue yeah, maybe what impacted me most in the last couple of years is the fact that there is no understanding when it comes to additional costs or additional things i have to do in order to deliver a good quality translation like asking other people or doing a lot of research, um, they just look at the other words. How many are they? And uh, yeah, and everything else is secondary. So uh, it's it's not important. And I, um, yeah, I, I think as a translator, I would fight for it to, um, yeah, 
being able to tell my clients that that is an important aspect of my work and not just translating. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> All right. Um, any final thoughts? I just hope that that summer comes someday <laughs> and that the spring, like we get, you know, the nice part of spring is like when you got the sun and then you get some rain, but that rain feels like it's making flowers and stuff. Uh, but this year it's like in Europe, it's like no sun, rain, <laughs> cold, you know, back in the States where my family's at, it's like minus 10 degrees Celsius and snowing and stuff. Uh, like, I just hope that the spring is coming someday <laughs> many ideas and a lot of action and a lot of success for everybody <laughs> well thanks robert for the random wrap-up <laughs> um that was another episode of the international bus with the, in this episode with patricia napoli from language fox thanks so much for joining us today thank you too thanks, thanks.